Are you ready to live your best life, be stronger, and fall in love with yourself? It's possible, and it's inside you, but you need to unlock the power within. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody used to be afraid to take risks. It took some stepping out of her comfort zone to get her there. Along with her guests and their stories, Jody will help you to live your best life ever. Now, here's your host, Jody Harrison Bauer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fearlessly Authentic. I'm your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, and it is so wonderful to have you join me today. It is a beautiful day outside, and I'm excited to share my guest with you. But first, if you are a first-time listener to the show, I just want to let you know you are in the right place to be educated and then empowered with that education, a little entertained, because I always try to be a little entertaining. So no pressure, Ethan, you got to be a little entertaining here, and inspired so you can go and live your most fearlessly authentic life. Because in my opinion, if we are not living in our truth, if we're not being our genuine self, like, what are we doing here, right? It's a waste of time, but sometimes it's really hard and we can't always do it. But I'm hoping that between me and my guests that we help you to go live that fearlessly authentic life. And so I wanted to remind you also to rate, review, and subscribe. We have a five-star rating and you can check us out on YouTube at Jody Harrison Bauer and on all my social media platforms at Jody Harrison Bauer. Um, and I think that is it. That is that is it. So thank you. Thank you again for joining us today for Fearlessly Authentic Life. My guest today is Ethan Hirschman. Welcome to the show, Ethan. Thank you, Jody. It's a pleasure to be here and, and an honor, actually. So oh, thank you well, so much for inviting me on. I feel the same way. Uh, a true honor. You are a man that I fully respect and um I'm so glad that we were finally able to coordinate our schedules to get you on the show. So um, for those of you who do not know Ethan, he is a very impressive man. Um, Ethan Hirschman has been an entrepreneur for the last 40 years. His companies include Canusa Hirschman Recycling, Newport CH Trading International, Evergreen Fibers, Woodland Power Products, and Greenwich CrossFit. He's just a little busy. Ethan struggled with alcohol and drug addiction during his late teens and all of his 20s, only after nearly losing his life to cocaine overdoses and destroying all his relationships and family did he surrender to the disease. He credits his over 29 years of sobriety to the 12 steps of the AA program, a solid community fellowship, taking life one day at a time, healing the mind, body, spirit, and helping of others. He is passionate about helping those that are afflicted with addiction and other life traumas. Ethan recognized that a big part of his success in fighting his disease was that he was fortunate to have the resources to help outside of AA. He was able to get therapy, join a gym, get the proper nutrition planning, and work in the community. Most people coming into recovery from their addiction, mental health issues, or life traumas don't have the resources to do these things. His vision with MTH, Move to Heal, is to have these resources available for anyone coming into recovery, regardless of their financial situation. The concept of putting as many hurdles between the recovering person and their mental health issues, next drink, drug, or whatever, as a way to develop long-term recovery is why he founded Move to Heal, along with Colleen Delaney and Alexandria Hirschman. Wow. Um, there are a lot of people that 
that you are impacting right now with everything that you've done in your life. And um, I, I just want to thank you for everything that you do. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you. It's, it's uh, you know, what I do now and, and what I've done in the past, it's, it's really, you know, to be fearlessly authentic about it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really to save my own life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, the best way for me to do that is by giving away what I've got. And no, I, lo- I love that. I love that. And when we first talked, it was about, you know, we all feel that we have different purposes in this life. And I think at different stages and ages in our life, and we've been around the block a few times, you and I, not together, but separately. And, um, you know, we think that we fall into our path of purpose. Maybe it's to make money, to make a good living for our families and so on. And, um, but what we we realize at the end of the day that maybe there's an even greater purpose that takes us there when we least expect it or it just comes out as an idea. So what I would love to do is go back to Amity High School days. Oh, my um, gosh. I know. I know. I'm a class of 79. What are you? The class 80, of 80. 80. Oh, you're just a year behind me. OK. Yeah. Um, shout out to Amity High School in Woodbridge, Connecticut. And uh, we did not know each other because we probably hung out in different circles. Yeah, so, more, more than likely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I um, I was a cheerleader and hung out with the jocks. Let's let's talk about what you did in high school. Well, okay. I guess I guess the statute of limitations is up, so I can talk about this. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, um, you know, before high school, I was kind of the same as you. I, I was I was a jock, and I, I was you know just kind of into sports and tennis player and and all that great stuff, and uh, on a pretty good path. However, um, I discovered drugs and alcohol uh, to be a great escape for me. Um, I grew up with a, 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 a bipolar mother who, who, and it was severe manic depression. And in those days there was no medication for it. No. So, um, you know, my household, what I thought was normal was completely unstable. And when I discovered alcohol and, and marijuana initially, and then ultimately cocaine, it, it was like a godsend for me. It allowed me to escape my life, forget my problems and, uh, and, and feel, you know, I hate to say this, but it made me feel normal. In, in a, in right. A, because I assume that living under that roof that you thought was normal was kind of depressing. A hundred percent. And, and un, um, unpredictable was, was, was the best thing, you know, the yeah. best way to put it. So, yeah. So essentially what happened with me, I, uh, I started smoking pot, you know, experimentally when I was 13, by the time I was 14, I was da- I was using it daily. Um, alcohol then came into my life. So this was, so I, I just want to give everybody sort of a time frame. So this was in the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. This right? was 1977, 78 around there. So, I mean, I remember like nobody I knew smoked pot back then. Like if you, I was, I was really good in high school. I just, yeah, yeah. You, I don't even, I don't even, doesn't even feel like we went to the same high school. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just like maybe drank a beer every once in a while. So, um, but, but 
people didn't even talk about even smoking pot. That's my point. Like you were like really bad if you smoked pot. And when I say bad, I say that in quotations, but that was like a hard drug, right? Yeah. And by the time I was 16, I was selling pot. Okay. And then cocaine um, that came into my life. Um, and you know, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe you weren't even exposed to this, but in that courtyard, I wasn't, I remember seeing the kids out in the courtyard. I was going to say that, but I wasn't going to bring it up. I remember seeing kids in the courtyard when I would go to class and they would be smoking cigarettes. Like yeah. I remember the girls out yeah. there. I remember yeah, the guys out there. Allowed them to, you know, right. and, and then East house corner was Zyg corner, which was, yes, yes. yes. So that's where, you know, that's where where I sold drugs. That's where, you know, all the people that were getting high and drinking kind of hung out. And uh, with them allowing cigarette smoking, throw a joint in there here and there. It was very hard to detect. So other than this, I was clueless. Yeah. I I mean, I knew I I stayed away from that group because you guys scared me because I just didn't know it was so foreign to me. Very smart of you to do that. Okay. good, good, good. So you're selling drugs by the time you're 16. Selling, selling drugs when I'm 16, selling cocaine by the time I graduated high school. Um, And um, it was, you know, what came with that was popularity, believe it or not. I mean, people came to me and, and it gave me some level of control in my life, which going back Mm -hmm. to my, my mother's illness, um, it, my life was like, you know, my mom was the primary caretaker in our house and I would go home and I thought it was perfectly normal to see if, to check, to see if I could go inside the house, depending on her state of mind. Really? So, and then some days it was great. And she was very loving. And then other days it was straight to my room because it was unsafe to go upstairs. So, so, um, so having growing up with that, I lacked control. And as soon as I could have any control in my life, that's what I wanted. So it makes so much sense on a very elementary level. You mm -hmm. know, where do I, where do I feel in control? Where do I feel validated? Maybe where do I feel where I have power over my own happiness? Whereas at home, you didn't, you know, it was all dependent on, on what, what you were going to enter when you came home. So this way, the drugs sort of sedated you, it just medicated you. You didn't feel anything. Totally. And the other thing was the money. See? Oh yeah. The money, right. with With the money that I was making, it gave me more control, yeah. Right, with my friends, with with everything. Like yeah, you money, didn't have to ask your your you mom that. for any money. You didn't. You were like, "See ya, bye." Yeah. I don't need a. Yeah. I don't need you for. I literally don't need you because all a kid really needs in high school is their car, and right. and money to put gas in the car, and you. But and yeah, the money helps. So you you just like see ya, bye. Yeah. So so my so that that you know, and then just to give you a a, a kind of a a full picture and a little more texture of what I was like. I also played electric guitar. So my parents were like, you know, blown out of the house because I was, you know, playing guitar all the time. I thought I was going to be the next Jimi Hendrix, which I wasn't. But uh, anyway, um, I uh, I sold drugs out of the house as well. And my parents really didn't know what to do because outside of all that, I was functioning fine. I did good in school. I was a good student, got everything done. 
but I was this drug dealing rock guitarist that they didn't know what to do with. So literally, you know what? I'm going to interrupt you again for a second. Ahead. I remember the kids in my grade. There was a very tall guy. I'm not going to intru- and I'm not going to say his name. And he was really, really smart and was always, always stoned. So, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to jump here. But do you think that there is like some connection between taking drugs and being really smart? It, it no, seemed, not, I don't think no. so. I, I, okay. I, I think it's. I think you know, drugs and alcohol. It's probably an escape from life and they're a way to escape your problems in life. Mm -hmm. And I had a very dysfunctional upbringing and, um, and, and it wasn't my mother's fault. She was sick. They didn't have, they really didn't have medication. They were, they were starting in the seventies to medicate her. Mm -hmm. So it got better as I got older, but, um, but the damage was done when I was five to 10 years old. I mean, that's when that's, that's when I was, kind of formed by that, you know. So did they, did she have any idea that because you were functioning, you were doing well in school um, and everything seemed to be going along, did they have any idea that you were taking drugs, selling drugs, anything oh, like that? yeah. Well, my father was a drug addict and alcoholic too. We partied together. So oh. it was a whole nother okay. thing going on there. But but just to just to kind of wrap that up a little bit, when I was 18, I, I graduated when I was 17 because I, I had skipped a grade. I, I went into college um, when I was 18. And by the time, I think it was around December of that year, just before my 19th birthday, my parents came to me and said, we lived in Bethany. And they said, we've had it with the drug dealing. We've had it with the, with the, the guitar music. We're moving. You can stay in the house. What? Pay the bills and don't burn the place down. Goodbye. And they left and they went to Brantford and, and bought a condominium. No way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's were you an only child. Uh, I was uh, my my siblings are all older than me. Six years. I'm six years younger than my, oh. my next sibling. So they were already all out of the house and gone. Oh, and shit. Uh, so that's what they did. Um, How did that make you feel? Fantastic. I love the oh. idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, all right. Love that. Your parents just let you stay in their house for you know, pay the electric bill and 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 you know, do it. Carry on. So, um, so nine months later, um, my now wife moved in with me, and uh, and we were kind of off to the races. But you know, just to just to to give you a little bit of background, that was we got married like a year after that. And yeah, you I got stopped, married young and I she's stopped, still with you. Yeah, we were 20 years old. So well, she's I, a keeper. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we were 20 years old and um, and I was like, all right, I got to keep going. So I stopped selling drugs at that point and I quit school and went into the family business. And I figured I can make a lot of money there. I can do it legally. Mm-hmm. And um and this will be the way to go. And I'm getting, I'm married now. So I've got to be more be responsible. And so Ethan, were you able to stop cold Turkey just like that? No, my, my, my addictions were uh, increasing. Okay. So, but I was able to hold it together like Monday to Friday. And then I would okay. just go crazy on the weekends. That's kind of, kind of what happened for the next you know, eight, eight, nine, ten years. Somehow, I was able to function. Somehow, I was able to 
to to run my dad's business um, until he closed it, start my own, and to all appearances on the outside, everything was fine. Like I was super successful at a young age, and um, and I was still you know doing cocaine. You know, literally, I'd sleep Thursday night. I would leave work at noon on Friday and I would do cocaine and alcohol until Sunday, not sleep at all. And then go to sleep Sunday night and and try and get, you know, get up in the morning, go to work on Monday. Now, during during this time, you're married to this amazing woman. Is she saying you got to stop? Like, no, she was actually going right along with me. Oh, okay, So she was okay. Yeah, she was like, yeah, this is great. So we did that until um, she got pregnant with our first daughter. And that's when she said, I'm done. You know, I'm pregnant now. Can't do this anymore. And um, and I said, oh, great. Well, there's more for me then. So I just kept going. And that lasted about two years. And then um, and this then this night that I'm going to describe this was the worst. I thought the worst day of my life. Okay. And what happened was this, uh, my daughter was about two years old and we were going, it was a Friday. Um, actually it was a Saturday that this happened, but, but, uh, uh, so, so we were going to go to, we were going to San Diego the following Monday for a paper, for a conference in my industry. And I had bought some cocaine because I was going to visit a friend in California in the middle of that next week. And I was going to go overnight and I'm like, good, I can hide this. I'll bring it with me. I'll party with him one night and I'll come back, see Kath and everything will be fine. And mind you, and I um, just to, you know, let you know, any, any, any addicts or alcoholics that are listening to this just laughed because you cannot save cocaine if you're an addict, it just doesn't right. work. How do you there. save it? Right. Yeah. It, it just gets used almost immediately. So I did manage to save it till the next day, which was Saturday. And Kath had told me, I'm going to New York with my friend. I'm going to go shopping for the trip. You got to babysit Allie. I'll be home around eight o'clock at night. And she left and I took that cocaine and I was smoking crack. I had turned, was turning it into crack at that point. I, I cooked it up smoked the crack, started drinking vodka, did not take care of my daughter. I, I didn't feed her. I didn't, I didn't change her diaper. Kathy came home that night, found her, you know, hungry, dirty, and then saw me just completely out of my mind. Right. And this had happened a number of times previously, and it was very consistent. Like for five years prior to this, what would happen is she would yell and scream at me. She'd throw me out of the bedroom, sometimes the house. And, um, and then I'd be really nice for a few days and she'd say, okay, go to Alcoholics Anonymous and get yourself fixed up and I'll let you back in the house or whatever. Right. And I would do that and never intending on staying sober, just intending on making things better, making and happy. Then going out and doing it again. This time she sat me down and very and didn't yell and scream and very quietly just said, listen, if it was just me, I, I love you so much. I'd probably put up with this for the rest of my life. But I can't have my daughter raised by a drug addict. So I'm going to go to California with you because my, my mother's going with us and she's never been there before. 
But when we get back, you have got to go. Mm. It's over. Wow. And, um, and I thought that was the worst day of my life. Um, turned out to be the best day of my life. Yeah. Um, I went to California. I did what I usually do. I was pretending, you know, being really good. I was fake praying. I was doing all the things <laughs> I'm supposed to do. And, uh, and I, I came back and I went and, and the one thing she said, she had met somebody whose husband was clean and sober for like about seven years at the time. And she said, I want you to go back to Alcoholics Anonymous, but you've got to go with this guy, Kenny, and you got to ask him to be your sponsor, which is a person that leads you through the program. And I did that. And, you know, by the grace of God and miracle, I, I went in and I really had had a, had the motivation to really try and make it work. Now, it didn't kill my cravings. It didn't do anything like that initially. But ultimately, uh, going to meetings every day and, and listening to my sponsor and doing what he said, I eventually, the, those cravings went away. And I've been sober ever since. And it's been about 29 years. 29 so, years. So that's sort of, um, that's, that's, that's the story of how I got you know, through high school, started my career, and then got into sobriety. And uh, and you're lucky to be alive, as so many people have probably said that to you. Well, not only that, the, the two things I didn't mention was um, two years prior to me getting sober, I ended up in the hospital twice with my because when you smoke crack, your heart rate goes up. I think it was at like 160 beats a minute, and I was just laying in bed. And uh, so I ended up in the hospital twice. And the doctor said, they said, you're not even 30 yet. Yeah. And you're this close to having a heart attack. Oh so you've got to stop. And, and that didn't even scare the shit out of you. You went back and did it again. I went back and did it again. And right. uh, yeah, so, so you know, really the pain I was feeling had to be so tremendously great um, before I was willing to to, to actually make a change. And I think uh, that happens with a lot of people that they feel like until they hit their lowest low, like they're almost dying or whatever it is. Well, that, sadly, most people do die before they right. actually find recovery. I am one of the lucky ones. Now um, you were, so you were 30, you were 29. I was, uh, I got sober, fully sober. Cause I, I put down the cocaine and the alcohol on November 7th of 1993, but I kept smoking pot. Okay. And I put down the pot on January 12th, 1994, which was 10 days short of my 31st birthday. So, so yeah. So, and, so, and that, from what I've read about um, any type of addict that for men, I'm just generally speaking, mm -hmm. that it usually takes them a little bit longer. So you being 31, it's usually like in their late 30s that they're able, it takes a long time for men. So if they have any type of drug or alcohol abuse addiction, it usually takes until they're in their mid 30, mid to late 30s, or is that just it, it's, misinformation? It, I think it's just, it can it can happen anytime. I've okay. seen, I mean, my father, who I told you was a yeah. drug yes. he got he went to rehab when he was 81. No. Yes. Well, thank God he went, right? He went and and the last four years of his life, although two of them, he had uh, lung cancer, weren't, weren't much fun. But um, 
there was a really magical time for the two of us because wow. I, I got to experience that with him and and be sober together and and that sort of thing. So that was great. Wow. But, but yeah, it's really there's no specific age. You know, I've I've seen people in their. It's hard for kids when they're in their twenties because we feel indestructible. Right. Um, but but uh, after that, it's it's it can happen at any time or it cannot happen at any. Right. Time. Right. Then, do you think that um, let's get into, so you found a sponsor, Kathy found you a sponsor, Kenny, yeah. and yeah. he was really the person who helped, you know, he brought you to the meetings and he made sure that you stayed on board with everything. Yes. Um, so yeah. tell us about um, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. It's been around forever um, and how that impacted your life and having the right sponsor. Oh, I think well, it's important yeah. for everybody listening to how you got the help. It's, it's, um, it's an incredible program. It, it makes no sense. There's no leadership. There's, uh, it doesn't, it, it functions in a way that makes no sense to anything really. Um, but it's, it's a community of people that have all recognized that they have a deadly disease that they're going to, that they either, you know, that they've come very close to losing their life and, and everything else. <laughs> and, um, and honestly, um, we're fighting the fight together and together we can, we can win alone. We die. Yeah. And we all really believe that anybody that's been sober for any period of time truly believes that. But the, the thing is, is, is a lot of people look at alcoholism and drug addiction as that's the problem. That's not the problem. It's, it's, that's, that's a symptom of the problem. And that symptom comes from the fact that we use drugs and alcohol to escape the real problems in our lives. And as somebody who's been in the fitness industry for as long as I've been in, I've seen food being used that way. Exactly. It's exactly the same. Right. The only so, problem with food, it's much harder because right. you have to eat every day. You have to eat it to I mean, stay alive. It's exactly. everywhere. And you it's can't, you can't abstain. Right. Exactly. So, so it is very, very hard. So I understand that from a food, from a food perspective. Um, so this community helps guide everybody. A hundred percent. And there was, there was two men that started this, this whole thing, Bill Wilson um, and Dr. Bob. And, uh, and I truly believe like they were divinely touched because they wrote the 12 steps of recovery that is that is that is used in multiple different programs now. And um, and they wrote this 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 program that is now almost 90 years old. You know, they wrote they wrote all this stuff literally back in the 30s and 40s. And it's still like perfectly applicable today. I know. And even, you know, even people that I know that are clean and sober now, um, if they don't continue to go to their AA meeting or their community, it's it remains a huge part of their life. That is how they stay, because every day, every day is a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Every day is a challenge. Um, There is this isn't an illness that you cure. This is an illness that you keep in remission. Right. And right. as I always like to say, and, and this isn't an original saying, but while I'm while I'm getting, you know, been sober 29 plus years now, my disease out in the parking lot doing push-ups. Just yeah. wait for to some figure out some way to get at me. 
And it's come at me in a bunch of different ways. But um, I will say this, um, you know, the AA program saved my life. Um, the 12 steps um, have are one of the main reasons that I've been able to stay sober as long as I have. But more importantly, they actually allow you to live sober and be happy. Without those steps, you're just miserable and not drinking or drugging. So, so it's really, it's really, and, and you're on the edge because you have a lot of pain going on that you haven't figured out what to do with. And, uh, and the 12 steps allow you to figure out other ways to handle that pain, to handle those life situations that would otherwise send you to, to have a drink or a drug. So, well, I want to touch on two points that you said the overlying problem, the drugs are just sort of a cover up for the overlying problem. Mm -hmm. And so while somebody is going, I mean, this is throughout their life, start going to AA, do they, is the point to get to those under overlying underlying problems and to yeah. become really honest? Um, the 12 steps, I don't know if you can go through them, if you can just. Oh, I could absolutely go through them. Okay. Can you so, go through them? So and the just first step it? is admitting that you're powerless over your substance. It can be whatever, right? Alcohol, drugs, food. And that your life's unmanageable. That's the first step. Okay. Um, that's really the only one you have to do at 100% every day. Right? You have to do that every day. The second step is coming to believe in some power that is greater than you that can help you be restored to sanity. Now that, I came into AA an atheist. Yeah. And, and I still don't have a belief in a traditional pathway to spirituality, which would be Christianity or Judaism or, you know, any, any of the, any of the traditional religions right. I do. I'm very spiritual and I believe in a higher power. It's just not the traditional God like you know, or, yeah. Jesus or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so that's the second step. The third step is to turn your will and your life over to this power that you know is greater than you, and it's and it's and it's a and it's a power of of goodness and positivity for me, and energy, if you will, that we all can feel, um, and that is part of the universe. That's mine. Um, the fourth step is to take a fearless moral inventory of yourself, and by doing this. And and what I do now, uh, what these are I, hard I, steps. They would, I mean, they could apply to anything. It's it's not this just is, this is you, where this, most people drop off. By the way, is it <laughs> on the oh. fourth step? Yes, yeah, because that's a hard one. I mean, they're all hard so far, oh, yeah. but like that so, one's a hard one. So to give you to give you a quick synopsis of how I've done it. First of all, there's no wrong way to do it. If you yeah. have the courage to do this any way you can. Do it like that's yeah. that's what we say. Go do it. But what I've done is I've taken, um, you know, basically, if you look at the seven deadly sins, right, um, I probably can't name them all. But you have, you know, um, you have anger, you have greed, you have lust, you have gluttony, you have envy, um, you have fear. I think fear. No, maybe that's not one of them. A sloth. And then I always forget one. So, but if you take any one of those, those were all character traits that were instilled in us as human beings whenever we, be, we came, became present on this planet to survive. Right. And if any one of those we overdo, it can turn into a defect and a problem. 
Mm-hmm. So I looked at each one of those and said, where did I blow this out of proportion? Right. And it hurt my life and it hurt other people in my life. And I look at that. So I, I take my inventory that way. The fifth step you thought the fourth was hard <laughs> to share that fourth step with another human being and your higher power. Easy to do with your higher power. Not so easy with another human being. Right. Um, sixth step is become entirely ready to have these defects or if you will, these character traits that have been overblown reduced to a level that they're not ruining your life. Okay. And then the seventh step is to ask your higher power, whatever that may be mm-hmm. to help you do that. And that, 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 those two steps, I've been doing them for 29 years, Jody, because you can't, that's, yeah, you're never, you're lot. never relieved fully of these. I steps. agree. Okay. Step eight, making a list of all the people that you harmed. That's the one I know. Yeah. I hear people and, talk about and you that. become willing to make amends to all of them. And then the ninth step, and this is where people get in a lot of trouble, is to make amends to those people. Now, where other except, I should say, where to do so would injure them or other people. So there's a million ways to make amends. One is you actually go to somebody and you ask for their forgiveness. But if you by doing that, you're going to hurt them or take this load of guilt and shame that you've had on your shoulders and just dump it on them. That's not what you do. You you have to actually live differently. Um, to amend is to change. Yes. It doesn't mean ask forgiveness. It means right. to change. Right. So we have to actually change. Okay, so now we've done the first nine. Mm-hmm. And that's basically taking care of our wreckage from the past. Okay. 10, 11, and 12 are all focused on living this new way now. 10, 10 is a daily inventory to make sure when we've falling off the beam a little bit that we write the wrong immediately. Okay. When we need to 11 is, uh, is seeking through prayer and meditation, a stronger connection with your higher power, whatever that might be. And 12 is to carry the message to others and give it away. Mm, And those are beautiful. So those are the, those are the 12 steps. And, and, and those things are really would allow me to live happily in sobriety. I'm so happy for you. You know, so that's, that's where that comes from. So now that you have been sober for 29 years, you are what, as you, as you became sober of 1994, right? Mm -hmm. January of 94. So now you're in, you're in your businesses, you're doing all these things. You've got children, a wife, you've got a life now and everybody is happy. Mm-hmm. that you are sober and you're helping other people. But you were, as you said at the beginning, you were a tennis player. So yeah. did you, while you are going through this entire process, which is an ongoing process, right. but you are now sober, you're living right. a sober life, you're you're living the steps every single day. Yeah. Um, do you, it's fitness and health, nutrition. I would think that all those years of partying, um, you weren't, I'm not saying you were malnourished. You were probably a little malnourished, a little no, undernourished. I was totally malnourished. Okay. Okay. So, so here's the story on that. So I go to the doctor yep. and I get sober because now I'm like, I've got to do everything differently. Right. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I get all of my tests done. They come back. I tell him my story, which he's horrified by, by the way. And, uh, and he says, 
you're malnourished. Mm. And he goes, he goes, you know, you're 30 years old or you're 31 at the time. You're 31 years old. And you've had almost two, you've been close to two heart attacks in the last three years. You're malnourished. Uh, you're really screwed up because of the story you just told me mentally. Yeah, yeah. You got a lot of problems. So this is what I I suggest you do. I, he goes, I suggest you join a gym or do something physical every day or, you know, five times a week, whatever. Yeah, get moving. Get moving. He said, you need to go to a therapist. I would highly suggest that. And he goes, based on, because I told him like, when I said I started partying at Friday afternoon till Sunday, if I had a hamburger between during that time and then the rest was alcohol and drugs, I thought I did good. Wow. So I had no idea how to eat. How skinny properly. were you? You were probably very skinny. I was. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, right now I weigh about 170 pounds. I was probably about 140. Yeah. Back then, you yeah. know, and and but very like really bad shape for yeah. somebody that age, you know. Right. So I did everything he said. I be, I started running. I joined the gym. I became a distance runner. I ran three marathons. That was my thing. It really took away the stress. Um, did that for 17 years. Then became a CrossFitter, which I've been doing the last 14 years. Right. Um, and uh, and then I went to therapy. I went to a nutritionist. I learned how to fuel my body as opposed to just eating Not. when I was hungry. You <laughs> right, know, right? Um, and and knew what to put in my body. Right. And I realized that. Yeah. I realized recently, and this was the whole, you know, sort of the genesis or part of the genesis to move to heal, was that. I had the resources to, to pay for all that stuff then, Be, but most people coming in, they don't have that. So it, the light bulb went off and I said, you know what? I, 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 I want to start a foundation and a nonprofit that is going to provide these things for these people for free. And then I had, and I, I, I owned Greenwich CrossFit at that time. So I got my partner, Colleen Delaney, and I, I called my, my daughter cause she's a therapist and she, right. She wrote her senior, uh, I mean, not her senior, her master's thesis on the um, the effect of physical fitness and mental health and, and how it was so important. So she was really into this. She was one of the other ones. She also planted the seed for this, I think, when she did that back in 2014. And I got those two together down at our gym in Greenwich. And I said, listen, I got this idea about having like we'll bring these people in here. We'll give them a, we'll give them 30 minutes of workout. Some of them have been on the couch for 10 years and haven't moved. So we'll have to go easy with them. Others will be athletes and we can give them a good workout, but we're, everybody's going to join in. It's not going to be a task-based workout where there's winners and losers. It's just going to be a certain amount of time. You do what you can. And then we're going to have this meeting, this recovery meeting. And then if they really like that, after a couple of times, we're going to, we're going to let them come to our gym for free, which was, which was like a $300 a month thing in Greenwich. Right. 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 So we're going to give it to them for free and, and, and we're going to give them nutritional counseling for free and we're going to give them therapy for free. So I said, Colleen, you got to take on all these, you got to coach these classes, you gotta you gotta take on all these new memberships Allie, you're and, working. <laughs> and you have to do the nutrition and Allie, you have to do all the therapy and we don't have any money, so you guys got to do it for free. Right. And they both, within five seconds, said, we are in. Right. 
and we started Move to Heal. And that was in um, June of 21. Okay. So we've since, um, we, we opened up our, uh, our actual 10th location in March in Putnam, Connecticut. Last year, we had 8,000 people come to our meetings. Uh, we, th- we, we plan on having about 12,000 this year. Currently, we, we sponsor, I think it's 70 gym memberships. We have 35 people in therapy, and we do 10 to 15 nutritional consults every month. And, um, and as you know, Jody, you know, when you're in the fitness industry, you're making the best versions of people physically, you're improving their mental health. Well, what that's what they don't realize. Um, that's what most people don't realize is that when they do hire a trainer or a coach like Colleen, me, that what they're getting is not somebody who's just going to get them through the workout. Yes. You know, do 15 of these. It's it's the coaching that that somebody is doing with their mind and you leave feeling better because we we will never regret doing a workout. We will never we'll regret what's work- done. Yes, we will never regret <laughs> it after it's done. And it's but it's that coaching, it's that headspace that we try to get into um, when somebody, you know, when we were talking about the underlying effects and, you know, using food or drugs or alcohol as something that's sort of like, you know, we're hiding from camouflaging the real problem that what you really want to get to is the root of the problem, you know, whether it's drugs, alcohol, or food. And 100%. that when you do get to talk to them, whether it's Allie or it's a trainer doing it, um, that's when you're able to get into somebody's head. And the reason they keep coming back to you is not because you're such a great trainer per se. It's because you know how to get in their head. Exactly. And and it's because it's a mind, it's a, people think it's, oh, I'm here to work out because I want to feel stronger and I want to, I want to lose weight. No, 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 no. We'll, we'll do that. We'll pretend that's what you're doing. So I, I, I applaud you for creating this for people that, didn't have the resources like you did because you saw how malnourished you were and what you needed and how how your life really blossomed after you you took all those steps to be healthier. A hundred a hundred percent. And and as you as you know, because you've been in this industry a long time, you're not only making the best versions of people, in some cases you're actually saving their lives. Yes. And and that's, you know, I had a uh the you know, we, we didn't talk much about my career, but I had a very successful career for 40 years. I went to work every day, loving what I was doing and conquering the world and all that great stuff. And I thought I was extremely fulfilled and I was going to go off into retirement and, and, and play golf and play golf, fun. play tennis. Yeah. And I started this and I realized this is what I'm on the planet to do. This is the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my life. And, uh, and I could not be happier. So I just love that. I love that. When you, when we spoke earlier, a couple of weeks ago, I mean, it just brought tears to my eyes because doing what you're doing, you have, you have the people, you have the resources to tap into, to help these people. So if we could break it down a little bit more. So what you're doing is you're reaching out to local gyms, fitness studios and asking them if you can use their space and explain that a little bit more. So basically it's really, really simple. Um, So we go to class-based gyms 
And and now we don't reach out to them. They come to us. We mm-hmm. finally got a critical mass where they're hearing about our program and saying, oh, we want to be involved in that. They have to give us a trainer or coach and the space for an hour and a half a week. Okay. And to do what we do, you know, or to do what our program does. So the people come in, they do a little 30 minute workout, which includes the warm up and the cool down. And then they have an hour group recovery meeting. And it's open to not just addicts and alcoholics, but anybody with any mental health issue, any type of life trauma, PTSD, grief, anxiety, stress. I love that you opened anything. it up to all yeah, of that. 100%. Also. Because what, 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 what the truth of the matter is, once you take away the drugs and alcohol, all those problems are the, the underneath it. So right, it's right. the same thing, okay? It's all the same. So if they like that environment and they keep coming, then we pay the gym for their memberships. It's free to those people. And it's free forever. Like as long, but they do have to meet certain requirements because as okay. you know, if, if, you know, you belong to Planet Fitness and you never go, and I hate to use them as an example. No, ain't but, nothing going to change. But nothing's going to change. So right. we require that they come to eight workouts a month and at least um, two to four move to heal meetings, recovery meetings, depending on how many are being held at that location. Right. Now, the gym owners love it because how often do they get an audience of 20 to 30 people that are going to get free memberships and all they have to do is sell a free membership? Right. <laughs> right. How hard is that? How right? hard is it to sell? And then they membership? get paid for those memberships by us. Mm-hmm. So they are happily, from a financial standpoint, giving us the space, giving a train, giving us a trainer for a half an hour to one hour a week, no problem. Okay. But it is there. It's we we give them the we give them the playbook. We will pay pay for the memberships. We will pay for the nutritional counseling. We get we have therapists that work around in different states. We pay for them, but they have to run the program. Mm. And that's why it's easy for us to scale because right. we don't put our own people at every gym. Now, Colleen and I run the Brantford location because we're here. This is my recovery community. Right. And, and, and quite honestly, it's so much fun and it's so fulfilling to watch people change that sure. this is the one of the few businesses I've ever been in where I want to be on the front line. And I want to be in the trench every day. Right. I also want to run it, but I, I, but all my other businesses, I get out of that as, you know, as quickly as possible and get to a management level and other people are doing everything else. This one, I want to be there. You want to the boots on the ground. Boots on the ground. 100%. Yeah. So, so that's it. So yeah. in order for, so if somebody just comes to um, four meetings, then do you say to them, Hey, John, I'm sorry, but like, is there a point where you say you can't come anymore or no, is it always you, you open can for just them? Go to move to heal means forever and, and not do anything else. If you okay. Want. And okay. A, and a lot of people get a huge benefit from just our meetings. Mm. So some of them don't join the gyms. A lot of them don't, but the meetings are life changing for them. So we, you know, we never tell anybody they can't come if they don't join. We don't tell them that we just, right. you know, if the ones that do want to join, great. The ones that don't want to join, Hey, they're getting a couple of workouts a week or maybe one workout a week, it's better than nothing, right? Right. And they're getting the community and it's a safe place for them to go and it's healthy and helpful, so. Oh my God, you must see just like tremendous changes. And then when you are, you're a sponsor to many, many people in AA, right? Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, I'm I'm sure that between the two, you are just you feel very excited about what you're doing and what the future holds to help more people. Oh, it's yeah, it's amazing. I mean, everybody has a capacity though, because it's it's it can get very emotional as it does, yeah. right? You're yeah. you're constantly dealing with people that are trying to get better. So yeah. so I have had to purposefully limit like the number of people that I can sponsor. I just I, I, you only have so much time, right? And so much so much to give. But right. I gotta tell you, it's it's I love it, you know, and I, and I work every night, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not home till somewhere between 830 and 10 o'clock every almost every night, except for maybe Fridays. And um, I couldn't be happier. I mean, it's 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 amazing. How can somebody find any information about Move to Heal and where are the locations? Are they just in the Northeast right now? Just in the Northeast. So so the best place to get any information about us is at our website at move to heal ct.org okay move to heal ct.org all of all of the information on everything about what we do is there um reach out to us do an inquiry and we will get back to you and 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 take care of all that our locations we have two in new haven one in westport um two in branford we have um one in east long Meadow, mass one in putnam connecticut one in oh, wallingford connecticut and uh, Smithfield, Rhode Island, and we are going to be opening up our next one in um, Lincoln, Rhode Island. We were just up there today and, and firmed up that that location. So. so, are you planning on going down the East Coast? Like you are, you can take this, you know, across it's, the country. Yeah, it's super easy to scale. the The thing we're balancing is our revenue raise from from you know donations and and grants and that sort of thing to the amount of gyms that we can open. Um, each gym costs us about on average $50,000 a year. To, so if somebody wanted to donate, would they go to the same website you just mentioned? Go to the same website, make the donation there, um, okay. or write a check and, and, and send it to, you know, our headquarters address is on the website as well. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so, so that's, that's how we, we, we operate and, uh, it's a constant balance. You know, right now we, we could open more, um, mm-hmm. But we're at about, you know, we, we, we're opening about five a year right now. We could do one a month and we have the manpower and, and the bandwidth to do that. We just don't have the revenue coming in just yet to, to, to fund that. So, but we think we'll get there. We're, we're gaining, you know, every time we open up a new gym, it's a new community. It's a, it's a new group of people that are interested in supporting us. So it's, um, it's, it's pretty exciting. It's incredible. It's incredible what you're doing. And for somebody to be talking about the body and the mind and how powerful those two things are when merged together in this situation, you know, you're changing lives. So I thank you for everything that you're doing. It's it's just incredible. And I'm I feel bad that it took so long to get you on the show. So oh. Kathy, thank you for coordinating us because she's been trying for like over a year. No, um, no problem at all. Yeah. And um, so we have just a few minutes left. And I just wanted to ask you one last question before we, we get out of here. What sure. does it mean for you to live a fearlessly authentic life? Well, I think, you know, to, I, I, to answer that question, um, you know, I think if I didn't live fearlessly authentic I, and I didn't make myself vulnerable, 
and 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 kind of show who I am, I could have never done what I've done with Move to Heal. I could have never get, taken it where it's going or, or get it get it at the at the pace that it's going. So fearlessly authentic is to for, to me is 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 vulnerability mm-hmm. and and showing showing my true self. I am a very sick man. I have a lot of problems. Um, I cannot do what I do without all those people around me. And and I go to these meetings, not only to to help the other people. That's where I get my help. Mm. You know, and you know, I'm I, I I describe it like this, Jody. I'm like a pencil, and you can snap a pencil pretty easily. But when you put when I go to those groups and they come to me, take a group of pencils of thirty pencils, put put a few and try and break them. They don't break. No. So our strength comes in our support of each other. And we all are fearlessly authentic in, 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 and when we are, when we do that, there's really, it's amazing the things that can happen. I was supposed to be dead a long time ago from a drug overdose, but because of the people in the community of AA and now move to heal, I'm not, <laughs> you know, I'm here and I'm able to do the things that I do. Well, thank you for everything that you're doing. And I love how you touched on the vulnerability because it is so crucially important for somebody who wants to help other people to share their pain points and show their vulnerability because somebody might look at you and say, whoa, he's got everything. He's successful. He's got a beautiful family, you know, gets to do all of these things. But when you share your story and you're super vulnerable, that's when you impact other people's lives. 100%. Yeah. So Ethan Hirschman, thank you so much for sharing your story and your movement, Move to Heal. Again, give us that website one more time. It's uh, movetoheelct.org. Okay. Thank you so much. And for everybody listening, I know you were inspired by this story. And so until next week, go have the most fearlessly authentic week. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you for tuning in this week to Fearlessly Authentic. Please listen again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Jody Harrison-Bauer on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and unlock the keys to a more powerful you.